thanks for uh, joining us as a follow-up to our uh, Black Swan series webinar, uh, Disparate Recoveries Post-Black Swan World. Sorry that we didn't get to all of your questions. I'm going to uh, do my best to answer them now. I am Brian Boleo. I am the CEO and Chief Economist for ITR Economics. And thank you very much for joining us for the webinar. And thank you for finding this Trends Talk so that we can answer your questions. And you'll notice there's a whole bunch of Trends Talks, by the way, on different topics. So maybe this will be a resource for you in the future. Uh, there's some questions that came in, and I want to make sure we get to those. One of which is, I would like to get a better understanding of depth and longevity of this crisis. Um, it's it's severe. I mean, we're seeing some markets behave like we haven't seen in the post-World War II history, like the automotive sector. Now, it isn't because of COVID-19 per se. It's because of our response to COVID-19. But in other sectors, um, we're not seeing an appreciable change because they were positioned well to do well during this period. So it depends on who you are and what you do. Longevity uh, for GDP, we think the second quarter of 2020 will be the very worst of it. That'll be the bottom. And then we start edging our way up in the third quarter and we're getting a little bit more momentum in the fourth quarter. And then in 2021, we start hitting more of our stride in terms of recovery. So is this a B, a U, an L, I, W, what uh, is the question? What do we expect? In the rates of change, this is a V. So if you do your own rates of change, that's the characteristic you should expect to see is a V. That's how the rate of change will work out. In the data, it will be either a U, like we're forecasting for US GDP, US industrial production, or it'll be an L, now, that L, though, will have some uplift. It'll be more like a hockey stick. It'll be a lazy L if you're talking about uh, commercial aircraft production. It'll be a more normal uh, hockey stick to a little bit better than hockey stick, almost like a lazy U if you're talking about something like um, machinery new order. So it really depends on what you're looking at. So for the big numbers, it's a U on the data for some subsets. You'll see that U, you'll see better than U in some sharp instances. But on the industrial side of things, it'll be more like a lazy U to an L with attitude. Which metro to come out early and which ones would be laggard? Are the, the metropolitan areas that uh, are not heavily tied to oil and that had a very growing demographic uh, service sector oriented economy to begin with would be the ones that. Uh, will come out early. Um, and I know, uh, take Texas. I mean, Texas remains a darling economy. And how Houston comes out of this is going to be different than Dallas comes out of this. So it's really going to get pretty micro in terms of responses. How um, Georgia comes out of this is going to be different than how Ohio comes out of this because of the different nature of their economy and the different demographics involved in each of those areas. You find a state where the population is growing, you find a state where that has good balance um, and isn't heavily tied to either automotive or aircraft manufacturing. If it is involved in manufacturing, maybe it's more tied toward automation or high technology type manufacturing. And you look for those um, metropolitan areas to go towards. Uh, you stay out of uh, LA as a metropolitan area, begin, for that matter, I think Boston, because there's a lot of risk in there right now. 
A, because of their uh, governments, and I think they're going to be slow to open their economies back up. But B, it remains, uh, in, at least in my mind, a big question mark whether they're going to allow the universities to open back up. And without the universities, those, those cities, um, particularly Boston, they've got a real problem on their hands. When will we recover all lost jobs? I don't know. My forecast doesn't go out that far. We think that by the end of 2021, early 2022, that you're still looking at three to four million people who will be unemployed above and beyond the number that was unemployed pre-COVID-19. So three to four million people who otherwise would be working except for the duality of these black swans. COVID-19 shutting down uh, retail and brick and mortar establishments of other types besides retail uh, contributes to that and the ongoing issues that we think will be there from the other black swan, which is the oil industry, contributes to that three to four million above and beyond the uh, six million that we saw pre-COVID-19, which constituted virtually full employment, by the way. So we're talking about 50, 60 percent uh, higher than the full employment six million number. Uh, but a heck of a lot less than we're going to see here as we go through the rest of 2020. And as I said, I don't know when we're going to absorb the other three to four million uh, forecasts that can go out that far. Do you think there are structural issues surrounding the labor market due to this crisis? I'm not sure I understand the question, but if I understand it correctly, I think the answer is yes. I'm not sure that they're significantly different. I think they've just been highlighted more. Some of the structural issues are uh, we have labor uh, in some wrong geographic areas in terms of where the best job markets are. Some, another structural issue would be education. We don't have the workforce education balance to where we need it to be. We have people, great people, hardworking people working in retail that are not going to easily transition into office jobs or other fields. Some of them will. I'm not saying that they won't, but there's some that will not. And that's going to remain a structural problem. I think uh, getting back to that 3 million people, some of those are going to join the ranks of structurally unemployed, just like after the Great Recession and after the early 1980s and after 2000, 2001, you find some people are, end up being structurally unemployed. They no longer have the skill sets required by the economy, and they no longer are in the geographic areas required by the economy. So there will be structural issues. Yes. Another question is looking for information specifically related to the residential real estate market and how and when will it be impacted given CARE Act mortgage forbearance program? Will the program only delay the inevitable foreclosures? And how will the lack of cash flow impact lenders' ability to finance new mortgages? I don't think the program is going to uh, delay inevitable foreclosures because the uh, forgiveness allows you to put the six months on the other end of the mortgage. And by then, uh, the economy is back on its feet. Uh, you're back at your job. You've had a chance to financially recover. So I don't see the uh, foreclosure inevitability that uh, at least I'm inferring from this question. Um, I think uh, the government uh, programmed this as well as could be expected under the timeline uh, and the consideration to keep this from happening. Um, I think the lack of cash flow impacting lenders' ability to finance new mortgages is something the Federal Reserve had in mind with the Main Street program and is certainly uh, going to be discussed further going forward. 
it's one of the unintended consequences of this. You just changed everybody's cash flow considerably in this arena. Um, and that's got to be figured out. And, you know, I'm confident that the Fed will. Uh, they have shown themselves to be willing to intervene, wade into the marketplace. And uh, they're not going to leave that particular stone under the water for us to all trip over. Uh, that's my contention anyways. Uh, but if they do, if they just leave it there, then we will trip over that. We're going to find ourselves in a more negative situation in 22-23 than uh, we are currently forecasting. Publicly, you have stated the cause of the next Great Depression will be triggered by unsustainable government debt, in part due to the end-of-life health care costs. Uh, how does the massive amount of federal government debt in response to the pandemic impact that prediction? Will government need to respond with massive tax increases in order to avoid undermining the confidence of the monetary system, reducing thus reducing the federal Fed's ability to finance the debt due to downgraded federal government credit rating? Will market interest rates eventually need to rise in response to crowding out caused by federal government deficit financing? Yeah, great compound question. Here's, here's our thinking really on all of that. The uh, size of the debt is certainly impressive and what we're committed to and what we are going to commit to further because this isn't done yet. It boggles the mind of a lot of fiscally conservative people, myself included. But it's never, and we've come to this realization over the last year and we've espoused it uh, in our talks. It's, it's been increasingly clear to us that it's about the world's confidence in the U.S. dollar. It's their willingness to believe that we are willing and able to pay off the debt. And therefore, that's the inflation, uh, the interest rate uh, credibility issue that is uh, part of this question. Now, I'll give you a compounding factor. China is more underwater than we are when it comes to governmental debt. So if they stumble and fall, what does that do to us? Uh, maybe it initially makes us look as, like a safe haven, but afterwards the world may look at us and say, they know better off than the Chinese were, or they're only marginally better off, but we don't think the U.S. is going to be able to shoulder on alone. And there's a whole bunch of different ways that this could be played out. So either the Federal Reserve needs to sterilize all this fiat currency, which means dampen the economy, raise interest rates, forestall future inflation, or they let it ride. Because uh, the figure will win the ugly dog contest, no matter what. That's our big question mark from the Federal Reserve. In terms of raising taxes to sop up some of this, uh, I think there's less doubt in our minds about this. I think in the second half of this decade, you are going to see a tendency toward more liberal government. I think um, we agree that there's going to therefore be a tendency to raise taxes, both because it'll be under the cover of fiscal prudence and probably also because it'll be under the cover of fair. We have to make things more fair, take from the rich in order to give to the poor. Whether they actually use any of those additional funds to reduce the debt is uh, seriously open for questioning, um, but that'll be the premise anyway. So I think you're right to be considering the fact that there will be tax increases in the future. Your question specifically said massive tax increases. Massive is a subjective term, but um, whether you raise uh, the taxes on individuals or you raise taxes on corporations, it usually has a pretty clear implication for at least short-term growth. And it's between the Federal Reserve and this political uh, issue, uh, we're more concerned about 
not the 2022-23 cycle, but the 26-27 cycle. We see that as much more threatening now because of uh, what underlies your question here. Next question, will the increased printing of money and expected inflation coming, with the increased printing of money and expected inflation coming, what is your position on owning gold? I think gold is probably going to be a good play for the two reasons you mentioned, and because the marginal propensity for war is going up as we're going through the 20s, and that uh, typically is a good time to hold gold. But I would personally, uh, I'd never go all one. Uh, I, I'm more interested in a market basket of metals, precious metals in particular, uh, than I am just gold. But that's a personal choice and a decision to spread risk around a little bit. But whenever you spread risk around, you're potentially leaving some upside on the table because you're potentially taking some loss off the table too. But that's that's my position on that. Next question. We hear about business after COVID-19, but it doesn't seem to me there will be a true after and that we will be in this in one form or another uh, across the various geographies and industries for quite a while. What graphs and charts and waves can we expect by industry and geography? I tried to answer that over the course of the webinar, and perhaps I did not do a, uh, uh, a good job. First, uh, in terms of the premise of the question, I think there is going to be an after. Will we look somewhat different? Will we behave somewhat different? We will in that how we satisfy our needs and our wants um, may change, but the consumer being able to satisfy their needs and wants and having those needs and wants, that is not going to change. That's the old norm and that's the new norm uh, after COVID-19 has abated and uh, is relegated to the history books. Across the different geographies, however, it's going to be a function of demographics, um, where each economy is in the uh, life cycle and what comprises those economies. And the growth in China and the US will be considerably different than that of Europe, which will be different than that of Japan, which will be different than that of Brazil, uh, with the US and China probably coming out of this the strongest and the best of those economies that I mentioned. Um, not that our governments are similar, but uh, the ability of the economy and businesses to respond and the desire to respond uh, very aggressively um, is going to matter also. So you're going to see, I think, more disparity in growth rates on the other side of this, at least for the next four years, three to four years, than we otherwise would have seen. In terms of what graphs and charts and waves can we expect by industry and geography, um, it'll be, let me review some of the uh, material that was in the webinar, if you would, please. I tried to show some of the differences. There are a whole host more. You'll see those uh, through the trends report where we go out three years on those forecasts. And through future webinars, we'll have more and more industries where we're highlighting these differences. I apologize that we don't have the entire answer for you at this time. It's just um, this is a very fluid situation. We're dealing with a lot of variables and we're attacking uh, all of these segments in rather large bunches first, like general industrial machinery, like um, non-defense capital goods and orders, like the automotive sector, like the commercial aircraft sector, uh, rather than more finitely slicing it than that. Um, but we will we'll get you some more information as time goes on. Another question is, uh, one question I'm hearing from my Vistage members, so this must be a Vistage chair, is how forecasting is taking into account 
second season of COVID this fall winter until a vaccine is found. Uh, you know, we've obviously had to consider a second wave uh, of COVID-19 and we have not built it into our outlook or our modeling as a probability. Uh, it is a possibility, but we don't see it as a probability that we need to build into our forecast. If it occurs and if it leads to the same shutdowns by the governors of the United States that we saw this past go around, then it would delay uh, everything that we're talking about. But those are pretty, those are two significant ifs in our mind. And the vaccine is being fast tracked. Um, I think until there's a vaccine, you can kiss airline travel goodbye, except for essential reasons only. So that's going to be very slow to come back. Um, I think uh, large gatherings like uh, football games, baseball games, hockey games are going to be very slow to come back until there's a vaccine. But there are a whole other swaths of our economy that can come back without a uh, vaccine. Um, so we have the two ifs there that we hold as possibilities, but not probabilities. Uh, Sub-question, is this, is this be factored into the 2021 forecast that was shared on April 10th webinar, or is it assuming an end to the current pandemic and no reoccurrence? The current COVID-19 is a black swan. If it happens again in fall of 2020, it doesn't seem like it can be considered a black swan. That, that's true. I mean, if it recurs, if there is a second wave in the fall or winter of 2020, then shame on us for not building it in because it, it's now not a true black swan. It's a probability, question of probabilities, and we're not assigning it a high probability occurrence. Um, but you're absolutely right, it will not be a black swan at that particular time. It'll be a misstep on our part for not assigning it a higher probability function within our forecasting effort. And what you saw on Friday in terms of uh, the macroeconomic forecast and the microeconomic forecast, those are different than what you saw at the April 10th webinar. Uh, we had time to assimilate more data, see the damage being done to the economy, and those were more negative forecasts that you saw this past Friday. Uh, than you had seen on April 10th. Another question we got is, will this COVID-related recession likely trigger the coming Great Depression sooner than previously forecasted? Uh, I tried to answer that earlier on in this trends talk. We don't think so. Um, we certainly understand the question. Uh, let me expound upon the answer a little bit. It's all about the full faith and credit of the U.S. government as far as we are concerned. So we're setting up some modeling to look at not only the yield curve between the 90-day T-bill and the 10-year Treasury bond, which, by the way, is the normal yield curve at the moment, but also measuring those T-bills in relation to other government short-term rates to see if uh, we're having to pay the same as others or if we're having to pay an elevated amount. We're looking at that differential relative to inflation rates, relative to other factors, other economic variables. When we start seeing that we're paying a higher T-bill rate for something other than an economic fundamental, uh, then we know that the T-bill is no longer considered as much of a risk-free investment as it has in the past. And that'll be the tipping or tip-off, we think, that um, all of this is indeed bringing the timeline of the 2030 recession in sooner. But barring seeing that, we don't have any reason to change the timeline because we still have, remember the 2030 issue was about the nexus of five different trends. It's not just the debt. And the, it's the changing of the nexus of those trends uh, that matters most to us. 
Um, what's your out next question? What's your outlook for publicly traded community banks in the DC market? How badly will their earnings per share be impacted for the remainder of 2020? And when might their earnings get back to pre-COVID levels? Thank you. The DC market is, is interesting that that's the twist that was put into this question because to a certain extent that's an immune market. Uh, publicly traded community banks are certainly going to see EPS downward pressure uh, through the remainder of this year and maybe lingering on to the first half of 21. It depends on uh, that what the Fed's going to do about covering any of the uh, liquidity shortfalls and uh, uh, that we talked about earlier. If the Fed comes through uh, in a reasonable way, uh, then the EPS will be restored fairly quickly. Uh, I'm going to make an assumption about what's behind the question. Um, if I was an investor, I'd be looking for buying opportunities. I'd be looking for a fundamentally sound community bank in the DC market that's perhaps experiencing a squeeze because of the times in which we find ourselves, but would normally uh, be doing well, and I'd be buying that particular stock. Another question, we manufacture high-end architectural plywood indoors for the commercial building market, both new construction and remodels. What do you see as the prospects and recovery timetable for this market? Okay, uh, gosh, um, the most recent leading indicator input says that this market is going to be one of those that seriously lags behind the rest of the economy. So where I've been talking about GDP reaching a low in 3Q20, um, you know, really beginning to climb out of the hole in the third quarter of 20, it's not going to happen in the commercial market um, for at least a year, for, no, I shouldn't say at least, for probably a year after that. Um, we've got to figure out how many people are coming back to work. We're going to figure out how what retail establishments are going to be opening up. We're going to, commercial also includes warehousing, but I take it by the nature of the manufacturing of uh, architectural plywood and high-end uh, doors and stuff. We're not talking about that sort of commercial activity. So uh, this is a deeper hole, a longer trough uh, for you folks. Uh, than many others are going to experience. And I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but the recovery timetable is what some of us will be seeing in general beginning with 3Q20. You start seeing 3Q21, and you probably don't start breathing again until 4Q21. So um, my, my advice to you is uh, assume the worst and do what you got to do to make sure you're on the other side of this thing and uh, can employ people and grow and prosper. Uh, but assume you got a really tough year and a half ahead of you, please. Uh, we manufacture wood products applied to the OEM office furniture manufacturers. What is the impact on this market and future prospects? Uh, ditto uh, what I just said. Uh, this, is, this is a longer haul. This, that's a segment of our economy that uh, has more question marks and more uncertainty. It tends to lag anyways. But the circumstances right now um, just don't align very well for seeing a sooner recovery than what we've been talking about. And that'd be uh, four to six quarters from now before we start seeing that uh, the green shoots being there and something that you can count on. Wow, what a bummer to have to end the trends talk that way. But uh, that is the last question. Thank you very much for attending our um, uh, webinar on Friday, uh, Disparate Recoveries in a Black Swan Environment. Appreciate you giving us your time, your interest. We appreciate you trusting us. Uh, if you have other questions, we'll have other webinars. We hope to be able to answer them then.
But in the meantime, send your questions to us and um, we'll do our best to build that into the fodder of uh, the, the webinar program so that you know that it's going to get answered while you're listening that day, or at least have a higher chance of that happening. On behalf of all the fantastic men and women that make up ITR Economics, all 52 of us, uh, I thank you again for being here, for what you are doing, and uh, I wish you well. This is Brian Bolio, CEO, Chief Economist, ITR Economics. Thank you. <laughs>